who's that I see walking in these woods? Why, it's Little Red Riding Hood. Hello, and welcome to the first official ever Nerd Hooligan podcast. I'm your host, Uncle Pappy Wolf, and if you like my podcast, you can look me up on Facebook forward slash UnclePappyWolf.com. Now, the Nerd Hooligan podcast is something I've been really wanting to do for a long time. There's so many times I'm sitting around talking with my nerd friends, and we come up with topics, and I think, man, that'd be an interesting podcast. So if you have comments or things you'd like me to talk about, or you have your questions, uh, comics, movies, anything nerd-related, shoot them to me over at Facebook.com. I'll review them, and if they're really cool, I'll add them to the podcast. All right, so really there's been so much going on in the world of nerddom that uh, I couldn't really fill a whole show with everything that's going on. I'd probably fill several podcasts, so I'm just going to narrow it down to a few. And since this is the summer blockbuster of nerddom movies, I thought it'd be good to start with a few of the movies that have been out recently. I don't know which ones you've seen, but I've seen a few of them, and I hope to see them all by the end of the summer. But uh, well, i got a list here, so let's go through it. So I'm going to start off here, not in order or any particular order, but I think I'm going to start with the X-Men First Class. Now, a lot of people really like this movie, and I didn't necessarily hate it. It was much better than 3, and Ratner's stuff was completely kind of ignored in the making of this film, along with the uh, Wolverine film, which didn't pay heavily into this film's continuity at all. If you look at uh, The White Queen as uh, all of a sudden older now, and in the 60s when she was younger now, and I guess when a Wolverine took place later on, it wasn't uh, the 80s or 90s or something like that, so... There was a complete, utter ignoring of the Wolverine film in general. But, you know, this is the problem I have with the X-Men films. Like, I like them, right? They're not bad. I even like 3. I didn't think it was all that bad. But I have lost all faith and hope as a comic nerd that anything that I see on that screen that Singer's done as far as comic book resembles the comic book at all. Um, I never thought when Brian Singer started the X-Men movies that he was ever a real fan of the X-Men I mean, when you take a character like Rogue and you amalgamate her with Jubilee and and all of a sudden she's young and she's joining the X-Men and that's the character that Wolverine is hanging out with. Like, And for those of you who don't know, Wolverine in the comic book seems to adopt young women. I, I know it sounds kind of freaky, but <laughs> Jubilee was a character kind of like his Robin, if you, if you need the comparison, uh, to the DC universe. And so he always kind of kept an eye on these young characters. The, but the other character that, that he always kept an eye on was uh, Kitty Pride. So I thought, you know, if you don't want to go with Jubilee's kind of weird power, for those of you who know, Jubilee was the girl in the movie, the Asian girl that was kind of like in the, some of the backgrounds. If you watch the old cartoons based, based off the Chris Claremont ones that were in the 90s, she's the character that shot sparklers out, <laughs> out of her out of her hand. Her powers are kind of odd. Uh, they look like fireworks. And so... I could see that not being well in a movie, but, you know, Kitty Pride is a character that's awesome, and another character in the comic book that Wolverine loves to pal around with, take care of, um, and I thought that would have been a much better jo- choice. I mean, the actress, Ellen Page, they picked was great for the movie, and that, and, and that brings me to my point. Like, these Brian Singer movies it, <laughs> have some of the best casting in them, but some of the poorest choices. So you start out with Wolverine, Great. That's what made the movie for me. You got Wolverine right. You got Professor X right. Um, You got Magneto right. Great casting. All of the players involved. um, With a few exceptions. I don't know why Sabretooth was a dumb wrestling dude or whatever. But anyway, 
I thought there were some good choices made, but the problem is is that you've changed the character so much that you lose the source material of the comic books that makes the film good. So it's almost like he flipped through an encyclopedia at Marvel and picked out the characters he thought and then rearranged them according to his own structure. Now, now I don't think Singer's a bad director. I really like The Usual Suspects. I really liked the movie he did called Apt Pupil with Ian McKellen in the role of a Nazi, which is just amazing. And if you haven't seen that movie, you really should. But just it, I just get so frustrated when I watch these movies because they could be so good because of the casting, yet some of the choices they make are poor. So so when you get to this third, this fourth installment of the X-Men movie, what you've got to me is a prequel, which is a big debate. Like, is this a prequel? To me, this is a prequel to Singer's films. It was Singer's the producer. He's not the director. But you can definitely tell his hand is involved in the process you've got uh uh characters that aren't part of the original x-men for those that don't know the original x-men was iceman beast gene gray cyclops and angel and professor x so since you've made half of that cast young in the new films you couldn't really go with them and again here we go we're starting to paint ourselves into a corner with the story, if you remember the third movie made Angel a kid, uh, Warren Worthington in the movie is the the bird guy, the boy that takes his shirt off and flies around. And that character was uh, is an interesting character with an interesting backstory, even with the Hellsfire Club. So if you go back and you look at all of the characters that they shrunk or made small or decided to make teeny, um, they, <laughs> they couldn't have essentially used the original first class X-Men. So what they did is they kind of grabbed characters, again, Singer going through his Marvel book of of mutants, picking out characters they thought would be interesting in, in a new movie that's first class. So you end up with Darwin, which is a character that was created in 2006. Um, not even part of the Chris Claremont era of comic books. wasn't part of the original. wasn't a part of the original X Men or the X Men that people really know and love with Wolverine and Cyclops and all those people. But but a later incarnation. Something that in, if you haven't read comic books since 2006, you probably don't even know who Darwin is. He is in the comic books and he is a fascinating character. There was one time where he was fighting the Hulk and his powers of adaptability were such that the Hulk was killing him. So his powers evolved to to teleport him away. So so people have asked me about that scene in the movie, and spoiler, 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 what happened to that character? And, and you know, that's an easy character to bring back. I mean, it's a good choice for a character to bring in, uh, you know, but it's just kind of odd. It, you have to go in as a comic book fan and forget the comic books ever existed and just hope that they get one or two of the characters that love right. I really like what they did with... Uh, the nostalgia of the film. I love the fact that it's set in the 60s. I thought that was a beautiful nostalgic type thing. Um, if you look, and this is something that really frustrates me. Like, I don't mind a movie being set in the time period that the comics were written. I think it makes it more interesting. So when you look at a movie like um, when you look at a movie like uh, uh, Watchmen, and I know people are split over Watchmen. Part of the nostalgia of that film, whether you like it or hate it, one of the things it does do well is the fact that it is set in a time period. And it, there's a nostalgia factor, there's a certain amount of like interesting little things that you don't remember if you grew up in that time or if you didn't grow up in that time you were interested in. And I, 
I think, like, if you look at the earliest drafts of Watchmen that other directors like Terry Gilliam were, were assigned, they were always trying to update those films out of the eras to make it more relevant to Bush or someone else in the politics or whoever's the guy in charge of the country. There's always this need to change things from what they were to what they are. Um, I was always worried about Wolverine. Was he going to end up being, uh, you know, an Afghani, an Afghanistan veteran, as opposed to, you know, having having that old history that goes all the way back to early wars, and 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 so, you know, some of these changes kind of drive me nuts. So, I the, the things that the first class movie does well is the nostalgia factor, is going back to the early comic books when you first see Professor X kind of starting to form the X Men. It kind of came kept that spirit of it i love the kind of submarine and 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 some of the choices they made but it just you know it just frustrates me that there's so much garbage and baggage that has been added to those films that it's very difficult to come up with new storylines which is why they had to go back and start with the first class and so again you have the same great cast i think stinger and and those involved in that project um know how to pick a good cast they know what they're doing but when it comes to scripts when it comes to getting that kind of marvel feel marvel production feel uh not to be uh, confused the 20th century fox well before marvel productions was ever in existence marvel sold some of their rights to other film companies like 20th century fox and other films um sony for spider-man to make Marvel films, so you're not going to see X-Men crossover with Iron Man or Captain America, and the reason why you're seeing kind of these characters emerge or odd characters you may never have heard of, like Hawkeye, come out of the Marvel world is because those are the ones they still have the rights to. And so Marvel, now that it's doing its own production, is starting to make comic book movies that are much more closely resemble the spirit of the original comics from which they're written from. And I think they've done an excellent job with Iron Man, and I really like the Incredible Hulk reboot. Um, I was not a fan of the Ang Lee movie, but but with these X-Men movies, they're still part of the 20th Century Fox. And basically, if 20th Century Fox doesn't make these movies, the deal that they have go, falls through and... Um, the properties go back to Marvel. And essentially, so you're going to see a, a spree of films come out just to keep the rights. So you're going to see another, uh, unfortunately, Ghost Rider. <laughs> there, there was talk of rebooting the, uh, uh, the Daredevil franchise. Um, there were a couple of these properties. You know, I'm surprised they haven't made a Blade movie. Um, so you're going to see a lot of this stuff go on. But back to the X-Men. Uh, the thing that was really good is the fact that it does capture the essence of the essential characters. Magneto being a fascinating character, and Professor X being a fascinating character. But there are so many changes that if you go into that movie thinking that you're going to understand anything about the comic books, just forget about it. There are going to be elements that are close. Uh, they're going to capture certain things that are okay. But they're so different from the comic books, so completely and utter different that you kind of, as a fan, just got to check your mind at the door. So, you know, I liked it. I had fun. If I can get entertained, if you would have asked me when I was a kid and I was reading uh, the Marvel Meltdown series where Havoc fights Wolverine, if I would ever see a character like Havoc in the movie... Um, I would just be like, no way in a million years is that ever going to happen. So just the fact that Havoc's in a movie and that he's shooting power similar to the ones he has, you know, as a nerd, I, I can nerd out on that. But 
but they're just like but, but on the other hand I get so frustrated when you've got like uh, Havoc is really Cyclops' brother you know and so now he's the original member of the first class and so what do you do with all that storyline between him and his brother and and all the material that you would build you're creating brand new characters that just happen to have the same name so that frustrates me because you're going to miss out on some of the really coolest stories in the Marvel world that they could tap into to write these stories and and have and when they have done that they have been successful when you go back and you study um uh Magneto and you study Professor X those those characters are interesting and the best parts of their characters make it into the film and so buys my theory of Marvel films or of movie comic book films in general that if they make a homage to the spirit of the original films of the original characters and the source material um, I understand that they're not panel for panel and I do not need a panel for panel translation of a comic book sometimes that doesn't work at all i do love film in and of itself so i do understand that there's two different genres but really if you want to capture both that target audience of people that are going to watch this movie three or four times buy the dvd and capture uh the spirit of people who you know are general movie watchers that just like a good action movie or sci-fi then you really need to pay homage to the original stuff yet introduce the kind of things that make a film really good the action the pacing the timing and those kinds of things so x-men first class was a decent hit you know and i i enjoyed it i hope they make another one um but again is it iron man uh no is it batman is it batman begins i you know okay it's it's probably about that good um or close, maybe a little less than Batman Begins, but it's no Dark Knight, and it's no Iron Man. Uh, which leads me to the next uh, Marvel hit. And that hit is Thor. Thor now is probably my favorite movie that I've seen so far this summer, not counting other films that are non-comic book related, because I'm really looking forward to seeing, out of all the nerd properties that are coming out, the conclusion to Harry Potter, which is really the movie I think should be a hit. If it's not, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to enjoy it. But Thor, let's get back to Thor. <laughs> Thor is a character that is a Marvel production, uh, a Marvel production film. Marvel has made this their own. It is a homage to the original character. And I really enjoyed this movie. Now, I know I've talked to some people who either are into Norse mythology, which I do read. I love to read Norse mythology. I think it's way freaking funny. Uh, if you haven't read Norse mythology, there's stories about Thor dressing in women's clothes and all these crazy stories about him, um, you know, chucking spears at gods and all these people sitting around. It, it's almost like, a, like, again, a bunch of Vikings sat around drinking beer and coming up with god stories. So... I love Norse mythology, but I do understand that the comic book incarnation is is a slightly different animal. But you know, if you if you if you don't like Norse mythology, if you do, then you're kind of frustrated with the comic part of it. If you like the comic book character, um, it's a little bit frustrating how which Thor you like. Unlike most Marvel characters, Thor is one of these characters that's gone through some retcons, that's gone through some revisions. Originally, he was sitting around in Asgard, and he was kind of a womanizer, always drinking and just being a lush. And Odin just gets tired of it and sends him to Earth as Donald Blake. So he doesn't even know he's Thor. Um, and so in the comic, the original comic in the 60s, he's 
he's thrown to Earth. He lives as Donald Blake. He finds this walking stick on an expedition, and he holds it up and hits it, and then it turns into the hammer. Uh, Mjolnir. Mjolnir, I don't know if I say that right. Mjolnir is how most people say it, but I like how it's spelled. <laughs> but, yeah, so he finds the stick. It's Mjolnir. He, he's able to wield Mjolnir, and he discovers that he's Thor. Now, that's one version. There's other versions where he's not Donald Blake, where Thor and Donald Blake are two different characters. Recently, you have the Ultimate Universe, and for those that don't know, Ultimate comic books are kind of like another version of the Marvel Universe. Marvel has always been steady in the fact that its universe has been most consistent. DC, in the 80s, had to have a crisis on infinite Earths. They had so many versions of Superman's origins, so many versions of things that have gone in the Bat universe, that they had to, like, boil it all down into one, because in the 80s, Marvel was kicking their butt. Because Marvel has a consistent universe. Marvel likes to explain things that are more tangible to this universe, which is why there's no Metropolis. There's a New York City is where Spider-Man hangs out, Daredevil's in Hell's Kitchen. These are actual places in the Marvel universe, are actual places on our map. There's no fictitious map like DC has with Metropolis and Gotham City. So, ideally, you know, Marvel's characters do well when they're adapted to the film. So, but with Thor, he because of his godlike structure and his ability to, you know, to be a god, um, it's kind of he's he's had the most changes over the years. So in the Ultimate Universe, there's there's a there's a version of Thor that's really interesting. Ultimate Universe is a lot more crude, a lot more harsh when characters die in the Ultimate Universe. Recently, Spider-Man died. It's not the Spider-Man from Amazing Spider-Man. It's the Ultimate Spider-Man. And usually when a character dies in the Ultimate Universe, the Ultimate line of comics, they stay dead. So Spider-Man could stay dead now, unless they change that at Marvel. Uh, So, out of all the characters, Thor's the one that's changed his origins, but... When you go back and look at some of those Thor stories, uh, that character could be the easy, easiestly one of the cheesiest versions of the Marvel comic book characters. The Rainbow Bridge. There are panels where he's riding a horse on this Rainbow Bridge that reminds me of Rainbow Bright because <laughs> he's taking the Biofrost to Earth. Uh, it's more like a porthole or dimension, and he's you know he's dressed all in. Norris God. It looks more like something you'd see in West Hollywood than you would see in a film. So I was a little worried about how that would look. But when they signed Kenneth Branagh, the guy who directed Much Ado About Nothing, the guy who did his version of Hamlet, and um, Dead Again. Dead Again is a great movie. If you if you like Kenneth Branagh's Thor and you want to see some of the other things he's done, go back and watch Dead Again. It's a suspense thriller with him and Emma Thompson, and it reminds me a lot of the Alfred Hitchcock types of films. It's got Robin Williams as, as one of the cameos in the film. Go back and watch that film. It's good. So when they when they got Kenneth Branagh, I was like, okay, he's probably the best choice to make the best decisions, according to Thor, and I just thought it was fun. Like I really enjoyed the stuff at Asgard. I really enjoyed what they did with the Rainbow Bridge being like a porthole. I, you know, and then there was a big controversy about making Hemdall the guardian of the Biofrost a black guy. You know, it's a universe. It's a mythical universe. There are so few minorities in the comic world from the past. I mean, things have changed 
that that you know I didn't mind it. it you know especially since Hemdall is a character that is kind of mythical and they made him huge in that film so I thought that guy did a great job I thought it didn't bother me at all that they changed that sometimes it bothers me when it's too radical a change you know um, the kingpin thing was like Meh. Uh, from the Daredevil movie when you know they made uh, Daredevil you know the, his villain kingpin a completely different character by making him a black guy because it gave him more like a street cred type thing than a some fat cat guy um, from the comic. So Thor is one of these things that could have gone really wrong, but some of the best visuals in Thor's comic books come from Jack Kirby's uh, illustrations of Asgard, and that's really what I was interested in. I saw a clip of this, like 10 to 15 minutes in 3D. I'm not a big 3D fan because most of it sucks. It's just an excuse to make 3D. And I didn't see the movie in 3D when it came out. But at Comic-Con, they gave us a clip with 3D, and I could see Asgard, and I just thought it was beautiful. It, it was beautiful in the movie, even in 2D. I enjoyed the time they spent in Asgard. I understand that Marvel has a tighter budget than, say, like an X-Men film. And sometimes doing those X-Men-type films where it's 1960s nostalgia costs a lot of production value and, and a lot of time and money. But, you know, keeping it in that that Asgard world and having it in New Mexico and tying that character in to the Avengers is something I think that film does well. So if you like mythology and you're not too far, it's not too far-fetched to think of this as kind of like, I imagine Stargate fans thinking this was kind of neat because it's similar to Stargate, you know, with the dimensions and the different universes. But there were so many cool things about this movie that I really enjoyed. Um, I enjoyed the humor. I enjoyed the fact that there are little homages to comic books. Like, honestly, if Donald Blake is a character that is Thor in the comic book, but since you really can't do that in a movie, there was a they they made her uh, a Natalie Portman's ex-boyfriend, and the shirt that Thor puts on that's blue that says "Hi, I'm Donald Blake" is kind of a homage to the comic book. The the uh, you know the the insulary characters the the other characters the thor's friends the warriors three they play a more of a pivotal role in the comics so if you didn't really know who they were that's okay but it, it, comic book fans could enjoy that part the fact that they didn't say oh hawkeye when they had hawkeye's cameo in the film was kind of cool if you knew he he grabbed that compound bone you knew exactly who he was if you're a comic fan if you didn't know it was okay you weren't going to lose the storyline or missing out on anything. But those little things, those little nuggets, those little Easter eggs, those are the things that make those Marvel production films really cool. And I like the element that they did keep from the Ultimate Universe. Part They, they kept... Pretty much Thor isn't the Ultimate Universe Thor. He's, he's the Thor from the comic books, from the normal storylines. But the one part about the Ultimate Universe that was funny about Thor is they don't really know if he's a god or not. They think maybe he's just a crazy guy with powers. And so, you know, he's talking about, I am the god of thunder or whatever. And they're like, yeah, yeah, right, whatever, dude. And you got a part of that in this film, which I think is cool. Uh, these, It seems like these Marvel films borrow a lot from the Ultimate Universe, which is why Sam Jackson's character, uh, Nick Fury, is a black guy. For those who don't know, Nick Fury is not a black guy in the comic book. But in the Ultimate Universe, he is a black guy, and so I wasn't. It wasn't too far fetched to make that change, and it, I think it's fine. I love Sam Jackson; he's great. Um, so you know, we're gearing up for these uh, these movies, uh, these uh, Avenger movie, um, and I, I'm somewhat excited. I'm not too happy with the Hulk 
choices with Mark Ruffalo. I am not a Mark Ruffalo fan. I don't think he's a bad actor. He, lately, he's been going around telling people that he's the, he's playing the Hulk for the first time. And people are like, what? What do you mean? Uh, and he's saying because he's wearing the suit, like they're doing a similar thing that they did with Gollum in Lord of the Rings, where he's putting on the little suit with the little you know bubbles or whatever they put on them to do the computer-generated imagery. And he's acting out the Hulk, and he's playing the Hulk for the first time. Right, not a way to get people to endear you to the role when you've got like Lou Ferrigno who just played the Hulk <laughs> as part of the old TV series. You've got other people who portrayed the Hulk. It's like you know, I know it's cool, it's neato. You're the Hulk, whatever. You're the first Hulk. That that's just kind of stupid. Uh, so I'm not looking forward to a guy who's a foot taller than the rest of the cast. When he was in the lineup at Comic Con last year, when they brought out all the Avengers on the panel. He's, like, so freaking tall that there's no way he's going to play the nerd Bruce Banner. You know, and it's just, like, it's really hard for me to look at him and think he is a strong enough actor to take on Robert Downey Jr., And uh, which leads me to my next conclusion, and, and that really is talking about what I think about Captain America. Because when you got the Avengers together, Captain America plays a pivotal role in the team. You know, if you think of Cyclops being leader of the X-Men... Captain America kind of plays that role a little bit in the Avengers. But the Avengers are kind of like a dysfunctional family. They can't get along. They have so many worldview differences. You've got Captain America, who comes from a whole different era, always fighting with Iron Man, who's kind of a lush, who does whatever he wants. He's kind of this playboy guy. And they really have some interesting debates and, and fights amongst themselves. And with an Edward Norton, I, could, I would have loved to have seen Edward Norton take on Robert Downey Jr. And really be able to have someone that could match wit for wit strength for strength acting wise a Robert Downey Jr. on the cast but Kevin Feige, the guy who produces Marvel uh, doesn't really seem to like Edward Norton and then we can get into that and I'll get into that more when you get closer to the Avengers but to me I have my views and I think that was a poor choice Mark Ruffalo, even if you didn't want Ed Norton, which would have been my first choice and I don't like the fact that they've recasted it. But there was all kinds of... There was even David Tennant from Doctor Who that was mentioned. All of those people. A ton... I could give you a list of people that I thought would have been a better acting job who would have been able to take on Robert Downey Jr. in that overwhelming cast of actors that could have done a better job of being cast in that role But uh, as, uh, as, as Hulk. But getting back to Captain America... The problem I have with Chris Evans, besides the fact that every time he holds up that shield, I'm going to hear the words flame on come to my head, uh, is the fact that I'm wondering as an actor if he's strong enough to, to play Captain America and, and go back and forth between him and Ed Norton, I mean, and, and Robert Downey Jr. in the film The Avengers. Now, I, what I've seen of the film, again, we have a nostalgia thing. The original Captain America character is a character that starts off in World War One or World War Two, excuse me. And that era is an awesome era, and you really can't do Captain America without having that era be part of the storyline. So you really have to do World War Two and the World War Two era and to, to really do that character well, which is another worry I had, and my worries have subsided over the years just because I've seen what Marvel's done with their property so far, and I've really enjoyed it. But in order to do him, he's a character that starts off in World War II, and in the comics, he's frozen, and he come, and he, they thaw him out in the future, and voila, you have your Avengers cast assembled. 
Um, so I've really enjoyed some of the properties, the, some of the things I've seen. I really like Hugo Weaving as the, the Red Skull. That's a great villain choice. That's really the draw for me to the movie. Now, Chris Evans, I hope he proves me wrong. And I hope Mark Ruffalo proves me wrong. Um, and maybe they will, because uh, that cast is good. And I want these movies to do well. But I don't know if choosing a character who's already portrayed a Marvel character in the Marvel Universe... Uh, in a film is really the best choice. I think a lot of these choices they made in their cast, the newer cast members, has a lot more to do with dollar figures. And Edward Norton, someone who's been nominated for Academy Awards or has won Academy Awards, they're a lot more expensive to add to a cast. So when they picked Chris Hemsworth to play Thor, uh, I, I thought, okay, here's a, I think a guy who I see can be a real, really, really good actor. And uh, if you don't know, if you don't remember Chris Hemsworth, Thor, um, he played Kirk's father in the in the kind of rebooted, kind of uh, alternate universe version of Star Trek. So he, if you go back and look at J.J. Abrams' Star Trek, and watch that opening scene with Kirk's father, where he flies the inter, that flies the ship in, into the in, into the villain ship and saves Kirk and his mother, that's Thor. And so when I saw that performance and I and I saw that, I thought, you know, this guy could pull off Thor. Uh, he seems to have the the acting chops. But Thor is a character. His interaction, you know, with uh, Robert Downey Jr., that'll be interesting to watch. But with Chris Evans, I've seen almost everything Chris Evans in, and I've really never seen him play anything but the same kind of cocky character. So in Push, he plays this cocky guy that has powers. It's a comic book movie. In in, uh, Fantastic Four, Flame On, he plays... I like his Human Torch. I think his Human Torch is cool. But he's playing, again, a cocky guy. So he kind of falls into the Tom Cruise school of acting, where, you know, Tom Cruise is supposedly this great actor who plays a cocky pilot in Top Gun and a cocky race car driver in Days of Thunder and a cocky brother in Rain Man and a cocky sports manager in uh, Jerry Maguire. I mean, the guy's played the same freaking role in every freaking movie and with little dimension. So there are exceptions. I thought his role in Tropic Thunder was incredibly funny. But the same thing as Chris Evans, though, is kind of like a Tom Cruise light, where he falls into the category of kind of playing cocky, good-looking guy. And and there's nothing in there um, that showed me that he uh, really has what it takes to to go wit for wit with Robert Downey Jr., which is some really tough shoes to fill. But, you know, at Comic-Con, he was contrite. He was the kind of guy who said, I understand what an overwhelming thing this is. He knows he has a large large thing to overcome for the fans is the fact that he did play the human torch and so i'm rooting for him i'm rooting for him i want the movie to do well and i think it will um the I, the visuals are awesome but i i think that what's going to make that movie good is going to be the fact that the supporting cast looks interesting and um i'm looking forward to seeing that one i, I wonder if it'll be better than thor i mean captain america is a character that non-comic book movie audiences are much more easily re- can much more easily relate to so with thor you have all this mythical powers and gods of other universe and dimensions and things that are really hard for people who just suspense their disbelief that are just normal movie going audiences like iron man it's a guy in a suit it's robert downey jr in a suit Robert Downey Jr. is incredibly freaking entertaining. He is Iron Man. I can't see anyone else playing Iron Man after him. I would hate to play Iron Man after him. But that character, you know, is the Marvel's Universe's version of Batman. You know, it was their idea to make Iron Man be like their version of their Batman. So, 
So, you know, it's not a hard thing for audiences to really relate to that character, a guy who made a mech suit, which is something, you know, we're almost close to doing now uh, with some of our technology. So that's not a character that's really far-fetched, you know. And so, but when you talk about Thor, you're talking about a mythical character, that's much more difficult for audiences to adapt to. But Captain America, being a super soldier, having a super soldier project, being a strong character... Uh, being an American icon, so you have a little bit of that Superman iconology. I think this character, this movie could do well just because of the fact that it's a much more palatable character to non-comic book, non-nerd hooligan type people's uh, view of movies. So I'm I'm hoping that Captain America does well. You know, I'm gonna try very hard, like I did with the X-Men movies, to put aside the fact that. <laughs> That I have my frustrations with the film. I always want comic book movies to do well. Um, I, I think the better they do, the better it is for nerd pop culture, nerd sub pop culture. And the fact that we're going mainstream and staying in the mainstream is great. But people always think, well, why are all these new comic book movies coming out? But when you go back and you look in the 1930s and 40s and uh, 40s and 50s serials, some of the earliest serials were all comic books. They did. Captain Marvel was a comic book movie. They did several black and white Batman films, uh, Superman. So, you know, comic book movies really aren't a new genre of film. They've really been around since the advent of film in general. And they've always been pulpy, and they've always been different over the years, but they've always been in the popular mainstay. Uh, It's just that um, people associate comic books with juvenile literature and so that that's really become a, a, to change when some of the properties i grew up with as a kid some of the people that i uh, that we all grew up simultaneously who read comic books are now movie makers so you have movies being a movies now paying homages to this the, the era in which i watched even tv look at sunday morning cartoons saturday morning cartoons like how many of those have become movies even that freaking smurf movie for heaven's sake um which is scary in and of itself. So, you know, I imagine that when I, you know, when it gets far, farther, I'll see Pokemon, the live-action movie, or some crazy version of some Teen Titan version of the make a movie. So, you know, it's interesting to see what properties are going to come out. I have good hopes for Captain America. I hope it does well. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I want to talk about the Green Lantern right now, um, but I don't want to get into it too much until after I see it. There's some things I want to talk about. Uh, as far as Comic-Con, so we'll hold that right off for the for the Green Lantern, and I think that'll be good for movies. So, so well, that'll be good for movies that are out now that I've seen. Now to movies that are soon to come out, nerd properties and all and, and the like. So let's get into it. There's a, if you haven't noticed on my Facebook page, or if you want to look it up, Pixar has a movie coming out called Brave, which is set in Scotland. And if you like Pixar films, which I really do enjoy, even the bad ones look really cool, um, it's kind of like a Braveheart kind of a thing. There's castles involved. So check out that trailer. It doesn't really say much about what's going on. It's about a young girl warrior who you know, seems to want to be different from her parents' role for her, so I imagine it's got a bit of a Disney feel to it. But the look of that trailer is awesome. So check it out. It's, it's called Brave. And it's the, the trailer. The first trailer is already out. The cast is phenomenal. I was looking at this cast, and you've got um, you've got Billy Connolly, the comedian from Scotland. You've got people like uh, Daniel. I mean, Dan, not Daniel Craig, but uh, Craig Ferguson from the Craig Ferguson Show is on there. Emma Thompson. So you've got a real good voice cast. So I'm looking forward to seeing that next year. 
so check that out. Check that out if you haven't seen that trailer. It's one of these things that I don't think many people have noticed because it just kind of popped up on the radar. Um, the other future movies, let's see, Spider-Man. Let's talk about Spider-Man. Let's talk about Spider-Man movies in general. Spider-Man's not one of these reboots that I'm looking forward to. Um, unlike the other reboots, I'm I'm rooting for those. I want those to do well. You know, I want Captain America to do well. Um, I like the X-Men movies, even though I'm frustrated as a fan. But Spider-Man, you know, Sam Raimi's movie wasn't that long ago. And I know 3 was a movie that most people could not stand, emo Spider-Man, and it was definitely a flawed film. But I don't think that was Raimi's fault. Um, if you if you go back to Sony and a lot of companies like 20th Century Fox in general, and you see this a lot at Comic-Con when the directors start talking about their films, 20th Century Fox, Sony, once a property starts doing well, wants to start micromanaging the property. So there was a kind of a push during Spider-Man 3 to introduce a character that Raimi wasn't necessarily familiar with, which was a character that everybody loves, which is Venom. Raimi is the guy who's kind of that 70s, 80s Spider-Man, the classic era of Spider-Man, where you've got the Sandman, and you've got the Green Goblin, and that Hobgoblin era, and the, you know, the regular Spider-Man rogues gallery, the Lizard. And, he, and that really is the kind of Spider-Man that most people seem to love. Even the new incarnations of the cartoons that I've seen that have come out recently with Spider-Man have been kind of an homage to that era of Spider-Man classic era. Venom is an era is the new kind of era. There's a split. Now, most people who like Spider-Man now, younger, you guys are going to totally think Venom has been around forever and he has been around for a freaking long time now. But Venom is a character that I enjoy. I do like the Venom. And so when they went with the ultimate Spider-Man version of Venom in the, in the third movie and Eddie Brodick Jr. instead of the movie instead of the comic book version for those who don't know Eddie Brodick was completely different. He's more of a thug kind of a character in the comic book in the Ultimate Universe. They kind of made him Spider-Man's doppelganger. They called him Eddie Brodick Jr. They made him want to be like Peter Parker. And so that storyline made it into the Sony third film. But you've got all these convoluted characters. You got Raimi's and they kind of forced their hand on Raimi to make these kind of changes. And he kind of capitulated for the first time. And they allowed them to kind of get micromanage that screenplay. So I really don't blame Raimi for 3. Uh, I think that if you go back and watch 2, that's my favorite of the Spider-Man series. Spider-Man 1 was awesome, but 2 was really good to me. It captures the spirit of the comic book. It captured the spirit of the film. And, and just to talk about Spider-Man changes... Like, in the film, Spider-Man, his mutation, the fact that he's bitten by a radioactive spider, allows him to shoot webs, to sling webs from his wrist, which is kind of like a spider sack in his wrist. Now, in the comic book, Peter Parker creates his own spider web cartridges that he shoots from his wrist, which is why you get that iconic-looking Spider-Man symbol with the I love you looking like sign language symbol that you see <laughs> a lot of people do when they shoot Spider-Man little kids because what he's doing is he's hitting the release button on his finger on it on to uh, in his palm to shoot the webs so this, again these aren't one of the changes I really care about I thought it was an improvement to the characters not like the comic book but again showing you that not every changes in a film from the comics are bad ideas but Raimi's spirit of the comics, the fact that he captured some of the best elements of the comics, and the fact that that movie really wasn't that long ago and was successful, is going to make it harder for this reboot. So when you look at the Hulk being a reboot, Ang Lee's Hulk was so freaking bad and so horribly awful. 
that people were screaming for a reboot. It kind of like, well, that sucked so so royally. We need something that kind of wash our palate clean, at least to try and reboot the character. And the fact that anyone went to see that movie, that it did well at all, that 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 Ed Norton was able to reboot that fri- franchise for Marvel was awesome. It was an awesome job. It was a difficult task for a film that has so much baggage from the Ang Lee style of film um, to do. So I was really happy with that reboot. But when you have Spider-Man, a movie that Sam Raimi directed that, that's really a good film, that's really... People still have Tobey Maguire in their head when they think of Spider-Man. So to go back and to reboot the franchise... Now, I do like Emma Stone as cast in there as Gwen Stacy, and I do like some of these casts... Uh, the Garfield guy uh, as a cast as Spider-Man but you know the suit looks bad they're trying so hard to be like the comic book to, uh, that I hope they they pay some homage they, they're they putting Peter Parker back in school a large portion of those early comic books Peter Parker's a student and I think that's fine I, whether he's in college or high school high school tends to be a little saved by the bell teenage kind of new 90210-ish kind of a feel I'm worried I'm definitely worried that these new films are going to be too tweeny, that we're going to have a Twilight effect involved in the Spider-Man films. So I'm hoping, you know, and that it does well, but I'm not rooting for it to do well. A part of me is like, well, I don't want it to fail because I love Spider-Man as a character, but I do not think that this, the things I've seen, the visuals I've seen, just just take the suit. Like, you go online, look up Garfield Spider-Man suit. A majority of the suit is blue, for heaven's sake. Now, everybody's like, oh, it's kind of cool. There are parts of that suit that's fine, but I don't know. It just looks a little odd. Um, And they're trying to go out of their way to try and make the imagery similar to the comic book, so that's a good sign. But, you know, good luck with that. I mean, good luck with that. We'll know more when it starts getting closer to coming out. But I don't have high hopes for the new Spider-Man movie. And they didn't want to recast Raimi as the director because he refused to compromise. He's like, I, if I do Spider-Man again, I will want my script to work. And if you can't deal with that, then don't hire me. And so Sony was like, don't hire, they didn't hire him and thought they would go with a younger, more hip version of Spider-Man. We'll see if that turns out to be like the musical, uh, with that smash Broadway hit of Spider-Man. Uh, (laughs) so we'll see if that makes it to the screen or if we get something that actually is kind of cool. So I, I hope it does well, like I do with all comic book movies, but I'm not so, so optimistic. So now I want to talk to you a little bit about Comic-Con. It is 20 days, there are 20 days to the epic mecca of all nerddom, Comic-Con 2011. And I freaking can't wait. This is going to be one of the craziest Comic-Cons because of all the problems they've had with ticket sales. I spent six hours freaking online trying to buy tickets this year, and I got a pass to four days, all four individual days. This will be one of the first years I don't think I got preview night tickets, which is going to really freaking suck for my buying habits. Usually when I go to Comic-Con, I buy on the first day, get my tickets, uh, and then kind of just chill and go to Old Town and have some freaking tacos. But this year is going to be crowded, so I imagine because of the fiascos they've had online, the line to get to buy tickets this year is probably going to be horrendous. I imagine they will they it is possible that they could sell out tickets for Comic-Con next year with people from this year. It wouldn't surprise me in the least to have that be sold out or at least 
more most of the tickets sold out at Comic-Con because of all the frustrations with online. It is so much easier to buy online. I mean, um, to buy at Comic-Con, I usually buy my tickets in the past, but since they started giving certain discounts, I purchased them online. But this year is going to be freaking crazy. Uh, some of the properties that haven't been announced, they haven't put the schedule out as soon as they do. If I have a podcast, number two, I will let you know what's going on at Comic-Con, what panels seem to be interesting. Obviously, the Hobbit panel, if they have one. I don't think Peter Jackson is going to be able to make it since they are shooting the Hobbit down in uh, New Zealand. So usually what he does is he'll send a scene or some behind-the-scene footage or a large chunk of information with a with a package with his with his uh, introducing something to us before the film comes out. He's always good to the Comic Con audience. Peter Jackson, he's an awesome guy. I love to see whatever he does, and last year was no exception when he was on the panel. So I'm I'm really glad that. To, to be looking forward to that panel. I'm sure there'll be blurbs about Avengers. There'll probably be an Avengers panel. There was last year. So we're talking way before Avengers ever even came out. They had an Avengers panel. And so I'm looking forward to the the Thor 2 that they're already starting to, to talk about. That'll be an interesting panel. Bat, for animation fans, for the Batman Year One, the Frank Miller comic book is being supposedly faithfully adapted to the animation series that the DC does. They've done some phenomenal jobs. I just watched uh, Green Lantern, Emerald Knights. And if you're if a Green Lantern fan, that's a definite must purchase. It's much better um, than some of the other stuff that I've seen from Marvel lately. But that's probably going to be previewed there. Oftentimes they'll show the thing in its entirety, which is awesome. Uh, the uh, other things I'm looking forward to seeing are some of the merchandises, uh, some of the new movie titles that I'm sure Brave will even have a, a a thing there, depending on if Disney decides it wants to show up. For those of you who don't know, like lately Comic-Con is really the catalyst for a lot of successes in film. So Hollywood has really embraced Comic-Con because of the success of Iron Man. Iron Man, you know, there were John Favreau talked about, like, on the panel Iron Man, they didn't even want Robert Downey Jr. as a cast. Again, they wanted some young, hip kid, some young guy to play Tony Stark, and they thought Robert Downey Jr. is too old. Now, who freaking cares how old an actor is if he looks the part? Like, do I really give a care if Tony Stark is 35 or 25 um, if the actor's solid, if you have a Robert Downey Jr., I don't think people care as much about age as they do about looks when it comes to the right feel, look, and acting job. But Iron Man was largely successful because of the buzz at Comic-Con. And a lot of films that may not get a, a good show are given a push by Comic-Con fans. But lately, there were a few flops that, that a lot of film studios started to blame Comic-Con for. And so let's talk about the one of the first ones was the Scott Pilgrim versus the World. The, you know, it was premiered at Comic-Con. We got to see tickets of it. It was a good movie. I loved the film. I think it's a fun film. Um, Comic-Con audiences totally embraced that film. Uh, I like Edgar Wright. I've met Edgar Wright. He's an awesome guy. For those of you who don't know, he's involved with Shaun of the Dead. He was involved with... Uh, um, going all the way back to the space TV show with Simon Pegg. Edgar Wright is awesome. I'll watch anything that guy does, just because he's such a cool dude. So, you know, but I knew, as most Comic-Con fans knew, that mainstream audiences are going to have an incredibly difficult time with a, 
trying to watch a, a Scott Pilgrim film. That is a nerd property that even splits nerds. I mean, you've got video game references. If you really want to know what kind of a movie splits audiences, all of the references and the, and the kind of the gags and the things that occur are really part of the Nintendo era and even more incarnations of PlayStation video game era nerds. So that movie really appealed to them. The coins falling out and crazy visual Japanese anime kind of things showing up. Um, wonderful manga type situations where you're having panels similar to the manga for Scott Pilgrim. It's a very eclectic property. It's a very, very minute group of people with even within the nerd world um, that would find that movie physically or visually appealing. But, you know, Grandma... Well, go watch cute old Robert Downey Jr. She's not going to go see freaking video game images from some kind of a Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. It's just not going to happen. Like, I know people don't even like comic book movies. Well, go see Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man and watch that movie two or three times. They have no interest in comics. They're jocks or they go, to oh, I'm a businessman and this is too much for me to care about what goes on. Uh, uh, it's a cool movie. I mean, uh, he, I kind of relate to him. He drinks a lot. and uh, So, you know... Everybody and their mother could embrace Iron Man because it's a character that's palatable to all kinds of audiences. But something like a Scott Pilgrim is only going to appeal to a small number of nerds. But they're your core audience. They're the ones, I know people that went out and encouraged people to buy the DVD, to watch the movie on, on Netflix stream, or I'm not net stream, but uh, Netflix Instant Cube. Or, or I mean, uh, to put it in their Netflix list and to see that movie. And most people who saw it really liked it. And I don't know many people who who are of the nerd variety that saw it that hated it. And so, you know, to so these studios lately have decided, you know, that they because of, of failures like Scott Pilgrim versus the World, Tron was another one, and I'll get into Tron in a minute. But they've decided to balk. Disney is 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 put out the feelers to say that they may not come to Comic-Con because, you know, their property, Tron, didn't do so well. You know, but what they've got to understand is nerds, as much as they love a property, are no different from other people. If the movie sucks, just because they love it, the property doesn't mean they're going to embrace your movie. Um, and just because they embrace your movie doesn't mean that the mainstream audience out in the world is going to embrace your movie because they have slightly different palatable tastes. Now, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World made a tremendous amount of money on DVD even though it didn't do well at the box office because those are the people that are more willing to buy your property. So to diss them, the very people that would buy your properties, uh, is really not a good thing for filmmakers. You have a buy-in audience that will watch your movie two or three times. Um, that's really not the audience I think to piss off. So all of a sudden there's been this talk that some of these studios, even Warner Brothers, was thinking of pulling out and not showing some of their properties. Now this started really with, with Star Trek. J.J. Uh, Abrams is a big fan. He likes the fans. He loves Comic-Con. At least it seems like it when he's there. But Paramount refused to show any visual scenes or have a panel or have anything to do with Star Trek prior to its movie at Comic-Con. Because they also know the opposite is true. If your movie sucks and you show it to Comic-Con, they are not going to go away thinking, oh, well, let's just not talk about that movie and let it make a whole bunch of freaking stupid money. No, they're going to get on the internet. They're going to tell everybody, don't freaking see. Good luck, Chuck. Why you think that I want to see Dane Cook, even though I love Jessica Alba and I love the fact that she's a beautiful woman and a decent actress, 
in a movie would do well at Comic-Con is beyond me. So when you bring your crappy movies to Comic-Con and you are afraid to have them shown, that really is going to create buzz in and of itself. There was so much skepticism involved in Star Trek that if it wasn't a good movie, you would never be able to do a Star Trek movie again because you've ostracized all the fans. So they got to tread lightly. I definitely understand when you're talking about like Star Trek and you think you have something good on your hands and you're trying to make it more of a cross-appeal to that general audience because that general audience is going to bring in that extra revenue. Of being skittish of showing some things at Comic-Con or being a little reluctant, and I have no problem with that. But when you balk at the fans that are going to see your movie like three or four or five times with a repeat value, that's not a good sign for any company. So I hope they reconsider I, I doubt that Warner Brothers isn't going to show because, to me, they have so many television and movie properties that it wouldn't be, behoove them not to show to Comic-Con. Disney, on the other hand, maybe not so much. With Marvel, yes, they better show. Uh, I don't see how you're going to get some of these people not to show at Comic-Con, but if they don't show Marvel films because Disney doesn't allow them, there's going to be a huge backlash to that. Uh, so I'm looking forward to Comic-Con. It's going to be a wild freaking year. Uh, it was just found out that Doctor Who is coming there, the 11th Doctor Who, uh, Matt Smith, and the, the girl Amy Pond, the, Karen, are going to be at Comic-Con for the first time. That'll be interesting. Uh, David Tennant showed up, I think it was last year or the year before, and that was cool. So BBC America has a big showing, and so I hope to be able to see that panel. It, it's so hard when you're at Comic-Con. There's so much going on that you have to choose between two properties you really love. Like, I'll probably see whatever Peter Jackson does. So uh, if it plays at the same time Doctor Who, is going to be like, oh, you're going to break my heart. So you know, I'll let you know what happens. I'll let you know how it feels at Comic-Con. But I'm telling you right now, it is freaking 20 days to Comic-Con, and I am nerd hooliganed out and i will get my nerd on and i will come back and tell you all the future films that are going to be coming out to check out and see and all of the comics and things i didn't get into comic books too much this year i'm a little behind in my comic reading so i wanted to read some comics first uh i'm reading through some i'm still trying to finish up the brightest day in the in the green lantern series and other things so bear with me with that if you have questions about comics i'll definitely research them for you if you've enjoyed this podcast today, because I think it's coming to a close here. Yep, yep, we're wrapping it up here. Let me know. You can look me up at Nerd Hooligan on Twitter for this podcast. Or if you want to look up Uncle Pappy Wolf at Twitter, I'm on both sites. So if you want to see me or talk to me on both sites, I'm there. Nerd Hooligan is capitalized. Uh, Uncle Pappy Wolf is capitalized. And again, on Facebook. At, at, at facebook.com forward slash uncle pappy will fall one word thank you so much for listening to this podcast if you've downloaded it or listened to it let me know what you think uh i've if you have things you'd want me to talk about or properties or characters or things you saw in a movie that you want to know and you want the nerd hooligan to investigate feel free to drop me a line at twitter or facebook uh so without further ado uncle pappy wolf your host will sign out from the fortress of solitude that he is now residing in and make my way to the bat cave to enjoy some family time with the bat family and that's it good night everyone oh who's that i see walking in these woods why it's little red riding hood